Welcome to the MetPro Method podcast. I am your host, Crystal O'Keefe, and today I'm joined by Andrew Heffernan. Andrew is many things. So he's been a personal trainer since 2003, a certified Feldenkrais practitioner. You've been doing that since 2013. You're also a black belt in karate. You have experience in boxing, JKD, Aikido. You're also a top 10 age group triathlete. You do Spartan DECA competitions, and you're a physical performer and actor. Not to mention the last three years, you are the owner of Vital Strength, all levels on online classes. It's live streaming everywhere four times a week, and now it's in its third year. I am exhausted just saying all of that. How do you do all of that? Oh, boy. I just have too many darn interests. That's the problem. Fortunately, most of them kind of coalesce around one topic, and that's kind of movement and the body and feeling good and how can we get better at it and how can we feel better and how can I help people live their best lives physically? Well, it's wonderful. I feel honored that you are taking time out of your obviously incredibly busy day to be here. So thank you for joining me. (laughs) It's a pleasure, Crystal. As I said, I'm a fan. I'm a big fan of yours and the show. So it's an honor to be here. Well, thank you. Now, with all of your knowledge and experience, we could clearly cover so many things, but I think that it'd be fun to kind of narrow the scope a bit and discuss how movement and exercise plays a role in our overall quality of life. Is that, mm. does that sound like a good kind of direction to head? Of course. Sure. Oh. Yeah. All right. So let's start with this Feldenkrais method. What exactly mm-hmm. is that and why is it important? <laughs> yeah, it's a yeah, good, good question. Yes, yes. <laughs> so the Feldenkrais method, it fills a gap, right? So most people, when they're talking about either a physical issue or wanting to improve their performance, they've got kind of two options. And one option is okay, I'm broken, so I'm going to go to the doctor and the doctor's going to give me surgery and they're going to give me a pill or something like that, right? Yeah. Maybe they're going to give me some exercises, but that's pretty rudimentary. On the other side, I think you've got your physical trainers, right? Your personal trainers. And they're used to working with people generally who are pretty functional already, right? Mm-hmm. Who already have, who aren't dealing with a lot of dysfunction, right? And then somewhere in between, there's this gap, right? If you come in to a doctor and you go, I got this kind of little pain right here, It doesn't really hurt right now, but kind of sometimes when I do this, it kind of hurts a little bit. Chances are that doctor is going to glaze over and, uh, you know, start looking at his watch or her watch and go, okay, take some NSAIDs and maybe put some ice on it and get out of my office. (laughs) And then the other side of things, the trainer might be equally ill-fitted for that same thing. I got this little pen. Well, let's do some more squats and see, let's build some muscle around it and let's see, maybe we can help it. Maybe those solutions work, right? It's not like those are completely useless, right. but there is this big gap in there. There's that kind of sub-medical, but above the trainer kind of range of issues that almost everybody has, right? Whether it's a shoulder or a back or a rib cage or a neck or a hip or a whatever it is, you know, most people are living with stuff that they just kind of said, well, no one can really help me with this. Right. right? It's just a thing. As, then, as my dad would always say, that's just part of getting old. <laughs> part of getting older. Absolutely. Yeah. Most people assume that basically as you get older, you just start to hurt and certain activities just become off the table. Your physical menu of choices that you can do just becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. A lot of us are just not aware of these changes that are happening in our bodies over time. And suddenly we find ourselves oh, I don't do this and I don't do that. And then pretty soon I'm not doing much of anything physically that is enjoyable and full of joy and fun. So Feldenkrais can help address that. On the other hand, it can also address things like, well, why when I do my golf swing, do I always do X or Y or Z? Why when I do my backhand or my tennis stroke, 
does this always happen, right? A lot of people go, oh, I'm so tense. I'm so tense up here all the time, right? Why is that happening? The Feldenkrais method helps to empower people to address these issues on their own, right? It's not necessarily, in some ways, the, the modality is a little analogous to massage therapists, but a lot of ways, it's more empowering to the person. I mean, a lot of us had the experience of going to a massage therapist or a rolfer or something like that. You get a night or a chiropractor, you get a nice adjustment, snap, pop, crackle, and then you get off the table and you go, oh my God, I feel great. And then a day later, you're back to your old tricks again, right? Yeah. So the Feldenkrais method actually allows you as the person, it's not even really considered a treatment, it's a teaching, right? So I'm more of an instructor than I am a, okay, I'm imposing some thing on you. I'm doing something to your body, right? It's more like I'm guiding you to be able to sense yourself better, making you more aware of how you move, your habits on how you move, helping you to expand and give you different options on how to move better in a way that might be more efficient or feel better or get that backhand better or relieve the tension more. So that's kind of a 30,000 foot view. I'm sure you have more questions. I definitely do. So when you say you're teaching people Mm -hmm. to kind of walk themselves through it, so is that like, okay, they need to be doing kind of certain movements every day as a preventative kind of measure, or is it helping people kind of diagnose their own issues and then address them after they've started or maybe both? Right. Yeah. It's kind of tricky because it's outside the realm of both things you said. It's not diagnostic. I'm not going to say, oh, you have a rotator cuff and you need X, Y, and Z, which is, again, the medical model. And that's what most people kind of are familiar with. And it's not so much a, okay, do these five things every day, this kind of prescriptive thing. If I tell you a little bit about the way it works and how you experience it, that might be kind of perfect. Yeah. Way. Yeah. So there's two ways of practicing the method. The first is where I'm the coach and I can do this remotely, you know, I could do a thing right now with you where I might ask you to just sense what your feet are doing right now. Just allow that information to come in from your feet, right? You don't have to make any changes. So you might feel like right now, my right foot is kind of torqued over to the side. My left foot is kind of crossed over it like that. And I feel the tops of my toes, my left foot kind of on the floor and the outside of my little toe and my right foot on the floor, right? And as soon as I start to tap into or just allow that information to start to come in, and you might start to feel it yourself, there's something cool that starts to immediately happen. One thing is you start to breathe a little better. You start to release tension you don't need. So if I'm paying attention again to my feet, okay, my ankles kind of turned like this. Then I might ask the question, all right, what might be another way of putting that foot on the floor, right? And you can answer this for your own self in the way you're sitting or moving right now. I might shift my foot, you know, so that it's so it's more flat on the floor and just take a moment to sense that what's going on there. I might do the same thing with the other foot. And now I'm in a new position and I might feel like, okay, well, that's a little asymmetrical. The right foot is kind of pulled in, the left foot's a little extended. But again, I can start to feel as I start to investigate and feel these sensations with greater clarity and greater acuity, I'm refining a skill. And that skill is the ability to sense what's going on in your body with greater accuracy. The better you get at that, the more you start to have choices. A lot of us are, in fact, I would venture to say that all of us are operating under the influence of many factors that are outside of control. Habits, repetitive movements, our body image. I'm ashamed of this part of my body, so I act in a way to hide it, right? My mother said that I look better on this side, so I'm going to turn to you this way, right? 
I'm ashamed of my belly. I'm ashamed of this part of my brain. So all these factors are running through our system, our consciousness all the time. We're not even aware of it. Add to that the fact that you're sitting. Most of us are sitting all the time. So shame in that. That's just what we do. We sit. I'm sitting right now, right? Sure. So over time, you get better. Your body gets better at sitting. So we start to curl over. Shoulders start to round in a little bit. The head starts to come forward a little bit. The body's like, I, Captain, will make it easy for you to sit. So we'll tighten these muscles. We'll loosen these muscles. Now we're really experts at sitting. But then when we get up, we're less expert at walking around. We're less experts at doing things that are vigorous and intense, right? Yeah. Because our bodies have adjusted to this one thing. We're very good at adapting and evolving. Yeah. So take all these factors, the sitting, the socialization, body shame, the body image, whatever. You take all those factors and we start to become pretty jacked up, right? <laughs> the body starts to get, we're not just moving in a way that's optimal for ourselves all the time. If you take a baby, right? That baby's going to move very efficiently. They've got no tension. They've got no shame. They just are who they are. They're exploring the world in this really open, available way, right? And their emotions just run through them. They're not repressing. They're just happening, right? So we get socialized over 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And then we got all these factors that are leaving us that are influencing the way we move. And now we need, we need a little attention. We need to be able to feel ourselves so that we can sense what the body needs moment to moment, right? Okay. And maybe that's just becoming more aware. Okay, well, how does the pelvis want to stand? How does the rib cage want to be? How does the shoulders want to hang kind of on the body? And then pretty soon you get to become an expert in sensing how your body wants to be. And unlike say, there's a lot of different modalities where it's like, okay, let's strengthen these muscles. And I get out and no problem with strengthening, no problem with stretching. I do this stuff all the time, but the body likes efficiency. The body likes to move with ease. Right. When you find you fall into this more easy, aligned, simple movement, the body's like, yeah, it's, you get lit up. It's like, yeah, I like this. It's easier. So you can always choose an easier way. You can always find an easier way to do something. Most of the time we are choosing, not consciously, but we're choosing to do things in a way that's more difficult than it needs to be, right? Even the way we sit, the way we move, the way we stand, all these things. So what if, so I feel like people are in some sense carrying a 60 pound weight on our shoulders. So what if we could put that away? Not only would we feel, not only would we perform better in our athletics, not only would we perform better just moving around in our lives, we'd also feel less stressed, okay. right? We'd feel less burdened. So it can be coached. It could also be, the method can also be a hands-on kind of thing that sort of resembles a massage. Although again, I'm not fixing you. I'm not like this muscle's tight. I'm going to cram into it and make it release. I might just lift up your arm right? And hold your arm for a moment while you're lying on your back. And then your nervous system is automatically going to start to talk to me in a way. It's going to go, oh, I kind of like the now, now that arm, really? The arm's supported? I can actually kind of, uh, and then that muscle is going to soften. And then you feel all this muscle that you hold throughout your whole day, just give away, right? So it doesn't take much. It doesn't take me saying, relax your upper trapezius, relax your, contract your real deltoid, pull your scapula onto your back. It doesn't take all this sort of imposed stuff it's just me. It's like when you take a cat, right? Yeah. Cat's anxious, right? You can just kind of hold the cat, pet it a little bit, maybe move its paws around a little bit and slowly, uh, that cat will kind of, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> and then it'll trot off feeling much better and less worried, right? Yeah. So that's kind of what functional integration feels like, which FI, that's one branch of the method. And the other method, again, of awareness through movement, that stuff, I teach classes in that and I stream those classes. Okay. So if all of this is intriguing to you, but still really obscure and weird, <laughs> it's easy enough to just 
click on one of my classes and just see what it's like or find a local Feldenkrais practitioner, just see, see what it's like. What's great is just audio. It doesn't require, you don't have to look at anything. It's not like I'm modeling anything, some beautiful way of moving that you feel like, oh, I'll never be able to do that. Like you're doing a yoga class. Yeah. It's just me coaching you, lying your back, lift your shoulder. You know, there might be the lifting of it. I mean, there's thousands of functional integration lessons, but the intent of all of them is to get you to that place where you're just open, everything's working as it should. It's not just relaxation, it's efficiency, right? So the big muscles are doing the big jobs, the small muscles are doing the small jobs, and you don't have any parasitic tension, extra tension you don't need that's, that's impeding you from feeling your best and performing your best. So that's kind of what it looks like. So why do you feel that that's important to like the average person? I mean, obviously to feel better, but like how would you know if you're a good candidate for this method? I am deeply convinced that everyone's a good candidate for this method. <laughs> I mean, whether you're people have come in to my studio who are like really high level athletes who just have incredible mastery and I'm far beyond I could ever achieve. And part of me goes, man, what could I teach this person about movement ever? <laughs> and they lie down on the table and it's not me <laughs> telling them how to move better because I couldn't do that, right? They already have a 42 inch vertical jump. They can already run a 40 in 4.5 seconds. There's nothing I can do to make that better by consciously coaching them. But if I tune in, and there are many techniques for this, it's not hocus pocus, right? I mean, it can sound hocus pocusy, but if I just lift their head up a little bit, right? And I encourage them to lengthen their spine a little bit, just because of the way we're wired, the way that nervous system is wired, and you encourage that spine to lengthen, that head to move just a little bit up, they're all of a sudden those cervical retractors are just going to lengthen, the traps are going to release, the shoulders are going to drop, right? And then I might do something with the arm. I might have perceived something when they walk and go, okay, he turns his right foot out a little bit when he walks. All right, let's see what happens to that right leg. Let's see what happens. I might lift that right leg up and move it just a little bit here and there, just jiggle it around a little bit. Encourage, just show that that foot can also turn inside a little bit. Then the nervous system starts to listen. And I put the foot down. The guy, the guy stands up and goes, oh my God. I feel totally different. Next day, he's going to go out and he's going to run a 4-4-40. Or he's going to have a 44-inch vertical jump. And I literally am going to work with people who have high-level athletes. And again, that is an extreme example. I don't want to claim credit for knocking a tenth of a second off a guy's 40. That's a lot. But in terms of just everyday feeling better and movement efficiency, absolutely. Everyone, everyone, everyone can get better. And again, it doesn't have to be me. It doesn't have to be touching you at all. It can be coached. It can be remote, right? Pretty remarkable things can happen pretty fast uh, using the method. In the one sense, it's like, if I'm understanding you correctly, it's like for, yeah. you may not even recognize that the guy may not have an idea that myself, I have a movement pattern that may not be optimal. Yeah. But you're saying that like, because you know how to do this method, you can help people mm -hmm. find those suboptimal patterns. Yeah. And that is why it's important for everyone, because all of us have things that we could improve that just will make sure. us feel better. And most of us like are just walking around with carrying that 60 pound stone, whether it's because you're stressed. I mean, like Feldenkrais talked about the body pattern of anxiety. Body pattern of anxiety basically is the fetal position. It's all your flexors, the muscles that flex your joints, curling you into a ball. So that's happening on a micro level almost all the time, right? Right. If I'm stressed, 
you can see it on EKG. Your muscles will start to do this. Your shoulders start to come forward. Your head will start to come forward. Your hip flexors start to. It's basically the same pattern that we're in. We're sitting all the time, which is kind of mind blowing, right? Let's sit in a chair and be in the pattern that tells our nervous system that we're stressed all the time, right? Yeah. Pretty scary, right? So we've got that going on a lot of the time. Well, what if you had just a different choice? What if you could just make a different choice? Not by going to a chiropractor a thousand times, not by having someone go crank on your arms and hurt you, just by breathing, becoming aware of it. And then maybe you might find that more open feeling where the, you have the little extension through the spine, extension through the hips. And then you're going to get out of there and go, whoa, I put my 60 pound stone is gone. I don't feel stressed. I don't feel anxious anymore. Very few people are aware of this because we're so divorced from our bodies most of the time. We're, right. we're, a lot of times we're strangers in our own bodies. Yeah, because you, you know? just go, go, go all the time. It's the, You go, go, go. And yeah. then you go to the gym and what do you do? You get on the treadmill, but you watch TV while you're doing it. So it's like your mind is still divorced from what your body is doing. Or your trainer tells you no pain, no gain, and you work through the pain and you try to block that out. And again, I'm a fitness guy. I work to failure all the time and I'm a racer. So I hurt a lot, <laughs> but I'm just saying that the general ethos of the fitness industry often is ignore your body, ignore what you're feeling. The Feldman's <laughs> method is one real strong way of interrupting this and just having you go, just be there with your body, sense how you feel, be okay with it, right? There's no judgments, no like right or wrong, no correcting. I'm not going to say, oh, that's wrong. That's not right. Feldman's said to correct is incorrect. So I don't correct people. I just give them options or show them what their options are. And their nervous system is going to choose the better one, the one that feels more pleasurable, more easy, more elegant, simpler. So when you get up and you've done these simple movements, you've tuned up this level of awareness, just like you might if you were a chef learning to sense what's in this stew, yeah. a really fine, sensitive palate, right? So they can sense, they can have a bite of stew and know exactly what's in there. A little garlic, a little cumin, a little of this, right? Whereas I might eat the same thing and go, oh, that's soup. Same thing with the body. It's like a great athlete or great dancer or something might be able to feel the micro adjustments of movement. They're going to spell a huge difference in how they feel and how they perform in their activity or their sport. Whereas a normal person who has a desk job or whatever might not be able to feel very much at all. With your background in so many different kinds of sports, I'm really curious how you came across this method and began to learn it. Because to your point, athletics, the entire field is always push, push, push. So what made you look for something different? I'm curious. Okay. So I started lifting weights when I was 16 years old. And my whole thing was, I just want to get huge, man. You know, it's my whole thing. It was a typical 16 year old. Guy. Right. I'd been destroyed on the football field. And I was like, oh man, my whole sense of identity and adolescent machismo, just like <laughs> at a fever pitch. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to get in there and lift weights, right? So I was in my parents' basement, just piling on as much weight as I could, went clanging around at 5.30 in the morning. I did that for years. And then I went to college and I kept doing the same thing. And it was all just like super macho yang stuff. And again, sure. I'm talking about it because I'm mocking myself. This stuff is important. Yeah. Weight, strength, all this stuff, really important. I think the yin and yang is the great analogy for this, right? You need both. I'm going to go on a tangent here for a second, but if you watch Michael Jordan or Simone Biles or some brilliant athlete like that, you don't necessarily admire the, just the strength, the grinding. You admire the apparent ease with which they're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? Yep. So that's where we want to get to. We don't want to get to just, all right, everything's a grind, whether it's lifting or walking. And that's how I was. I was a ball of tension. Everything like 
I mean, I was just as likely to tear a door handle off as I was to just like gently open the door <laughs> just because I was like, it's all about strength all the time, right? <laughs> yeah. So this continued for, I don't know, eight years or something. And then I was in grad school for theater and the movement teacher, Jane Ridley, just so brilliant. Here I was all proud of my jacked up body. And she's like, you just, what's wrong with you? It's like, you, need to, you just need to relax. You know? There's a couple of us in that acting class that were just like super raw, you know, this big chest, big arms kind of thing. And she was English. She's like, you boys need to learn to calm down a bit and work with ease. <laughs> and a guy came in and he did a Feldenkrais lesson on us. No touching, just lying on the floor. It's like you're doing savasana. Yeah. You're doing like a head turn and you're doing an arm raise and a little, little effort. And I'm like, what in God's name is this helping? Come on, let me get to the gym. Let me lift some weights. And then I get up and I'm like, oh my God. It's like, like the armor cracked. And suddenly I had ranges of motion. I just completely forgotten about it. And my body was like, oh, I can do this. Yeah. And like my shoulders dropped and my hips were feeling good. And I was like, Everything was fluid, right? It wasn't so boxy and hard and angular, right? And immediately I found like, oh, whoa, this is a whole world <laughs> that I've neglected is this whole, the inside of things, right? The softer yeah. side. That was kind of the first step on that odyssey. So I did three years of graduate school. And then it was actually several years later that I started doing, I certified the Feldenkrais method, but that was kind of the first step. I was like, there's this whole other side to all this effort, right? And it's actually ironically going to make the other stuff easier. So you actually get stronger. That's the funny thing by learning to work more efficiently with greater ease. I'm assuming because you have more range of motion, which then means that you can do more, which then makes you stronger when you do whatever workout you're doing to get stronger. Yes. And the other thing is you become this efficiency sensing machine, right? So it's like, if you're always doing, I don't know, whatever it is, an overhead press straight up. Oh, what if I rotated my wrists a little bit? Oh, actually that feels way better in my shoulders. What if I found more extension through my thoracic spine? Oh, oh, actually I can reach up my arms so much easier like that. So this is a level of awareness that just starts to become ingrained. So that whereas before maybe you were pressing like this with your back kind of hunched over and you barely get your arms straight. Now you're pressing like this with your back a little more aligned with your pelvis underneath you. And yeah, of course you can lift more weights because you've got more stability underneath you. So absolutely. I mean, there's lots of ways of more mobile, more range of motion, but also just more efficient and more aware that helps too. You brought up an interesting point that babies just kind of move around. They just do their thing. Nobody needs to tell them how to move. They just do it. So at what point in life, I guess, do you feel like people need to start focusing on how to move, or maybe their movement isn't as good as it used to be. Maybe they had an injury at some point. When is it important to start looking at that? I mean, ideally soon, (laughs) right? (laughs) It's like the question, when do you plant a tree? Well, best time to plant a tree is 30 years ago. And then the second best time is right now, right? So same with mobility. There are many, many modalities for mobility. I mean, Feldenkrais is, is one that also brings in all these other has all these other benefits, but just simply reaching your arms overhead, making sure you can extend your hips, making sure you can roll your shoulders all around, do circles with your heads. These are all stuff you do in really basic gym class stuff. Just do it. It doesn't cost anything. You do it anytime. And it does tend to help you just feel so much better. So the sooner is, the better is the answer. 
like what if a person has never exercised a day in their life? Maybe they're stiff. Maybe they have mobility issues. So they start doing mobility. Do they need to have any kind of exercise background before they start? Is it just like anybody anywhere can start kind of focusing on mobility? I think it's good to have some kind of instruction. I mean, you're not going to hurt yourself doing neck circles unless you, I don't know, put on some head banging music, <laughs> just swing around as fast as you can. You're not going to hurt yourself as long as you're staying in touch with your sensation, right? And using that as your primary guide, right? I mean, when I turn my head, I've got a little area back here where I'm like, that hurts. Yeah. So I'm not going to go, okay, how hard can I do that? Biting on the sore tooth. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go, all right, I'm going to avoid that area and I'll make a circle kind of over here. I mean, if your thing is just, I want lowest point of entry, just start moving around, doing some shoulder circles. And then maybe ideally you'd be like, oh, this is actually kind of interesting. Maybe you'll start to take some walks now and then yeah. you start to lift some weights here and there. Maybe you'll start to explore the Feldenkrais method or, you know, take one of my strength classes or something like that. You're not going to hurt yourself. But that's a great thing. If it's free, it's easily accessible. If you get some instruction, go on YouTube or something like that just to find. So you're not just always doing your habitual things. I mean, see people in yoga class all the time who are great at touching their toes of hamstrings that are 20 feet long. So they're like, oh, I'm going to touch my toes a thousand times because it just feels great. And everyone's envious of how flexible I am, right? But they might not have mobility somewhere else. They're yeah. never necessarily going to do an extension up here, right? Yeah. So you don't want to just keep going over doing your favorite things that you're great at. You want to find your limitations and see if you can kind of expand on those a little bit. Absolutely. And I definitely think that it's good to have direction and instruction. I yeah. guess really my kind of point was you don't have to have been a person who's been active or an exerciser right. your whole life to be able to be mobile. That makes me think of like my parents who are both in, well, my mom's in her late 60s. My dad's just turned 70 and he was in construction his whole life. My mom yeah. was in retail, so she stood on her feet all day long. So both were active, but in very different ways. And my dad, he decided that when he retired, he was going to make sure that he does like a gym kind of thing every day. It's very yeah. simple routine, but he does his thing. He really wants to keep his shoulders moving because he's injured so many parts of his body doing construction sure. his whole life. Yeah. My mom, on the other hand, she doesn't really do any kind of exercise. And you can really see the difference between the two spending their time after they've retired. Just like my dad still moves pretty easily. My mom seems like it's getting a little bit harder and a little bit harder. And I feel like that's so much of what people don't understand about mobility, because I think when people think exercise. They assume they have to do things they may not necessarily want to do. But when it comes to mobility, it's more, I would say, a gentler form. And it's something that anybody can do. It's accessible to anybody at any level. Would you agree with that? And is there a better way to kind of explain that to people? I think you said it very, very well. Yeah. Low barrier to entry. Do it anywhere. Very simple. Very unlikely that you hurt yourself in any way. What you butt up against is that people until you do it, <laughs> until you go, well, what's the point? You know, show my shoulders around. So what? Until you do it. And it might take a few times. It might take a couple weeks of doing 15 minutes a day of some mobility work right. before you go, whoa, I just reached into my back seat to get the grocery bag and I didn't get that feeling in my shoulder or I could go way further than I thought, right? Without yeah. pain. Or you wake up in the morning, you stand up and you're bracing for that usual pain you get in your back and you go, it's not there. I think you really hit the nail on the head when you say that, because people, I think, picture mobility as flexibility. I think people 
intertwine yeah. those two and they're not necessarily the same. You can be mobile without being like overly flexible. Yeah, that's true. It's a strange thing that when you're doing mobility work and flexibility work, actually, part of it is that you're getting more extension or length in the tissues, right? That's part of it. Sure. Most people think that's the whole game. It's not. At least half the game is just telling your nervous system, oh, this range of motion is safe, is okay. Because we have this buffer zone that the body's like, oh, we want to make sure we're protected, we're safe, right? Just like that ape in the forest, we basically are. We want to stay safe, right? Yeah. So the body puts brakes on, right? So we got brakes around our range of motion in our joints, right? In our spine, right? In our hips, everything. We've got certain zones we're comfortable in, certain zones we're not comfortable in, right? But there's a big zone, big buffer zone that over time, if you don't move very much, just gets larger and larger and your usable range of motion gets smaller and smaller. It's not necessarily because everything's tighter and shorter. It's just because your nervous system, your brain is telling those joints, stay away from that range of motion because we're scared. We haven't been there in a long time, right? But if you visit those little neighborhoods a few times a week, then you, your body starts to go, oh, I'm okay. I'm okay reaching in the back seat. I'm okay <laughs> rotating. I'm okay standing out of a chair without feeling my back's going to explode. It's expanding those tissues, but also affecting the nervous system. And that's a quicker process than actually creating length in your Achilles tendon or something, which actually takes a long time. So it can be pretty quick. Yeah. So if people are taking classes, maybe they're taking one of your classes, if they're working on their mobility, how can they see, yes, this is improving over time, like measurably, like you said, you might notice it, but how can they make sure and be mindful that, yes, this is happening? It's a good question. Trainers can certainly measure the range of motion on your joints. There's a little sort of protractor-like thing you can use. Okay, we're going to figure out exactly how much range and extension or flexion you have in this joint. And that's all great. I mean, that's more physical therapy territory. So I would say try it for a few days. Try it once. Do 10 minutes and tell me that you don't immediately feel better. (laughs) Tell me that walking upstairs doesn't feel better. That you know, moving across the room, reaching for something on a high shelf, rotating, as I said, into the back seat or climbing out of a car and that really awkward movement we do multiple times a day that swing your hips and do all this weird stuff to get out of a car. You will just start to feel, just start to become aware, start to become just to tune in and see how you're doing physically and see if it makes a difference. And I pretty much guarantee you it will. It's a pretty subjective thing, but that's my answer and I'm sticking to it. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. I'll (laughs) take it. You also mentioned when we were going back and forth before the show that there's something called age-related sarcopenia and anabolic resistance. What exactly are they and how do they inform the best ways to approach exercise as you age? Yeah, great question. So this is an abrupt gear shift, but this is important. (laughs) No, it's okay. It's good. I'm glad you asked that question because I don't want to leave people with the impression that effort is bad or that all you got to do to feel great your whole life is roll around on the floor and take it easy on yourself. Right. There's there's a whole other side of things. So age-related sarcopenia starts at about age 30-ish, different markers of our different age points at which it tends to kick in. But basically, until you turn about 30, your body's perfectly happy to hold on to any muscle mass that you've built, right? And so this is part of why people in their 20, 25, they tend to look pretty good, right? And then over time, you get to be 30, and then that edifice starts to crumble just a tiny little bit, right? And that's your muscle mass. That's the kind of 
gentle tide washing against the beach of your muscle mass, slowly wearing away at it, right? And you're not going to notice it for the first couple of years, even if you don't exercise. You can be turned 32, 33, 34 and be like, I'm fine. You can laugh at all your friends that do the, you're spending, wasting all their time in the gym say, ha ah, ha, you're wasting all your time. Cut forward 20 years yeah. and you've lost about a percent or so of muscle mass, up to that, a few percent, it accelerates. It accelerates at an accelerating rate. So a few percent, up to a percent a year. So you could be down 20% muscle mass in say 25, 30 years, right? And things are going to start to feel different. This is why, you know, when you turn 50, okay, I don't really like to go to my son's fourth floor walk up in New York City. It hurts, right? <laughs> and you actually see, you see MRIs of people's femurs and they're the same size, right? If you see a cross section of the femur, it's the same size. But in 25, it's almost all meat. It's like a cut of beef cut forward. It's the same size thigh, but half of it is now fat. Ugh. The other half is muscle. Yeah, right? So you, you feel like, oh, my leg is exactly <laughs> the same. It's not the same. It's not the same, friend. You've now substituted. You've lost half the muscle mass in your leg if you don't do anything. This is assuming not doing anything, right? So don't despair. So that's age-related sarcopenia is the general trend toward losing muscle mass as you get older. Now, we'll get to the solution in just a second. I want to cover anabolic resistance. So anabolic resistance is more great news for those of us over 30 that all of us have to look forward to. And that's lessening of sensitivity toward taking in protein, right? So again, when you're 25, you take in protein, your body goes, hey, let's build some muscle. Muscle protein synthesis. You get turned on like a switch. Bang. Right? Yeah. Let's build some muscle here. We got it, right? The older you get, the less sensitive that switch becomes, right? Mm -hmm. That switchboard operator gets older and like a little more sluggish. And I'm just going to walk to the switch and go, all right, and maybe it just turns on halfway, right? <laughs> so over time, that's resistance to anabolism, resistance to the building of tissue. So this is why it's harder to build muscles as you get older, but it's also why your skin it doesn't rebound as much from like a sunburn or something. They're just less active tissue building going on in your body. The factories are just kind of getting a little tired, worn out, right? So the solution to these two things, age-related sarcopenia and anabolic resistance, is it just means you have to be more vigilant about your strength training and more vigilant about your protein intake. So if I had like two major points I want to leave people with as far as the exercise and strength part of it goes, is like, man, do three or four days of strength training a week. Take in a lot of protein, right? Most people are like, as they get older, almost everybody comes to me. And I'm sure Angela has this too. And every trainer out there has this. Almost everybody says, I want to lose fat. I want yep. to improve my body composition. Yep. That is almost everybody who walks in the door. Okay. Sure. So the weird thing is that people go, well, all right, I'm going to do a lot of cardio and I'm going to eat nothing, right? That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this starving cardio approach yep. to weight loss, right? And it's entirely wrongheaded in every possible way. Now, it might work in the sense that you might step on the scale in a few days and go, hey, I lost weight, right? Yeah. Win, right? Right. And so then they go, I'm going to eat even less. I'm going to do even more cardio, right? That is so exactly right. <laughs> right? And then maybe they lose a ton of weight. Maybe even people go, hey, you're losing weight. That's great. And they go, oh, that's fantastic. I'm going to do even more of it. It's such a fool's errand because over time, first of all, you can't just go without calories, you know? Right. It's just like right. you're white knuckling it, right? 
at some point you're going to break. Someone's going to bring out the nil away for a pie and you're going to dive into that thing and not be seen for days because you're just starving yourself. And your that body, sounds amazing. Your Doesn't it? <laughs> yes. I want one. Let's go make one right now. <laughs> Those are so good. Those nil away for pie. They are. They're amazing. They're so, so good. I'm going to have to stop this interview and go make one. Um, <laughs> no, so you're never going to be able to starve yourself and you're never going to keep up the cardio. And what happens when you're doing those things is losing muscle mass so that when you step on that scale, you know you're lighter, but half of the weight you've lost has been muscle mass. The other half has been fat. So that the fat loss is great. The muscle loss is terrible because right. basically that's like you're in a ship. The ship is sinking. And you're like, oh, we need to lighten our load here. So you take the engine, you throw it overboard. Right. You saw down the mast with the sails and you throw that overboard. All the things you need to get back to shore. All the things you need to do the thing you want to do, which in this case is lose fat. You're throwing those overboard by doing this starving cardio approach, right? So the solution is get your strength training in three days a week, three, four days a week. Get your protein in. That is the biggest, most important advice for people who are concerned about body composition, feeling better, maintaining function as they get older, is those two things to fight that age-related sarcopenia and fight that antibiotic resistance. I'm just relieved there's a solution because that was a lot of depressing news. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) But there is. It's not a hard solution. It's not like, okay, we need to have surgery or we need to have a million medications or you need to spend half your life doing because there's so many other benefits to these things. You're not just building muscle mass. You're also improving your mood. You're also improving your mobility. You're also improving your day-to-day function. You're also improving your sense of optimism, just feeling good in the world. So, I mean, there's the litany of benefits for strength training and exercise. It just goes on and on. So don't think of it as just, okay, I'm taking my medicine for this one aspect of my life. I'm doing something to improve everything in my life, right? But on that note, then, is it more important as you age to add strength training or is it more important to focus on mobility? So I I feel conflicted now. You feel conflicted. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's the yin and yang. Right. It's both sides of things. I mean, in my classes, bringing it along to the shameless plug part of things. In my class, I start with 10 minutes of mobility every single day and it's different every time. If you just did that, that's all you had time and patience for. Fantastic. That's awesome, right? That's your gateway drug. Next level is do something with a little bit of yang in it. So maybe that's doing the rest of the class. The rest of the class is strength-based stuff and it's done pretty fast. So we keep your heart rate up, right? So we're doing supersets of lots of different moves and they change all the time. We're having you move in 360 degrees. You're not lifting like huge weights, but you're lifting enough to maintain and build some muscle. If you lose weight, that challenges you, right? A lot of body weight stuff. What I'd like to say in my classes is first you lengthen, right? First you lengthen the tissues and then you strengthen them. You use that range of motion you've created in your mobility work to do your life, right? It depends on the modality you use, but if you just spend your life stretching your hamstrings, right, getting a lot of length in those tissues, and you never use that range of motion, your body's going to go, well, we don't really need that. It's going to go, well, okay, we've, we've lengthened this tissue, but Crystal isn't really doing high kicks all day long, so we're just going to restore that tissue back to its normal place. But if you spend some time doing some mobility and then you use that range of motion in some strength exercises, so when I have people do overhead presses, I don't just have them stop when their arms straight. I have them reach and keep reaching up oh. from the sky until they have these ribs kind of coming apart, right? And the ribs on this side kind of coming together. So it's telling those ribs, oh, we've got this range of motion. We've got side to side movement. I might add some rotation in there so that the body's like, oh, we want to turn the shoulders relative to the hips. Great. Let's do that, right? So now we're using all that wonderful rotation that we get in the warm up in the strength work. So I guess my answer, which is more important? I mean, 
start somewhere. You know what I mean? <laughs> if you're like, man, I am just really jazzed to build some muscle, do some strength training. Fine. If you're like, man, all I am is stiff all day long and the strength training stuff sounds really tough. Spend some time doing some mobility work. I mean, it's one of those things. It's like a long time ago, there's a book called Seven Weeks to Optimum Health, something like that. Andrew Weil was the guy's name. In the first chapter, he recommended stuff like put some flowers around your house, find some artwork and put it on your wall. And at some point, you're supposed to keep up these things. I think in like chapter seven, he's like, if you haven't recognized that flowers and artwork make you happier and improves your life, it's like, I can't help you. you know <laughs> Close I mean? the book. Close the book. Close you're the done. Book. Just stop. Just stop. <laughs> so it's like, if you spend two weeks or three days doing 15 minutes a day of mobility work, that's really easy. It feels good. You don't immediately recognize the benefits. It's like, I don't know if you're a human being. It's like, I, I, think, I think it's just so immediately apparent, just like eating something delicious that's good for you. It's really just a long-winded way of me to do a trick question where you're supposed to say, it depends, like Angela always does. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I guess, yeah, I, in, Mike, I'm just going to say it depends on your taste, really. I yeah. Mean, yeah, again, if just someone walks in and they just haven't moved in decades, it's like what I always used to, used to tell my father-in-law, just like, do something. Do yeah. something, right? Some, Take a some walk. kind of movement, something, yeah. whether it's improving your mobility or the strength training, just do one of those two things and yeah. keep moving. Yeah, right. And then hopefully at some point you'll be sold on all of them. I mean, again, if the entry point is I want to change my body composition, I want to lose fat, which again is many people's goal, then building muscle has got to be part of the equation, right? right? Because when you're in calorie restriction, your body's going to offload that muscle tissue unless you send that specific message to your body. We need to hold on to this muscle tissue. And you send that message by strength training, right? Your body doesn't know that you're not hunting elk. <laughs> your body doesn't know that you're not running away from bears. It just knows for survival, for whatever reason, this person is <laughs> doing a lot of physical activity. So we need to hold on to this muscle tissue. We'll offload the fat because they don't seem to be using that. That's our only source of of calories, right? So again, if the entry point is body comp, strength train, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And is there anything that we've missed today that you feel like people really need to know? I would just sort of emphasize again, this the dangers of like either or thinking, a black and white thinking around fitness. And I don't really love the term wellness, but our health in general. Yeah. This kind of either I am perfect or I'm completely bad, right? I don't even really like labeling foods. Never eat donuts. I love donuts. <laughs> it would donuts be sad if we could never have another donut. It would be so sad. Or vanilla wafer pie. I was right? like, we need to get yeah. donuts and the vanilla wafer pie. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. We tend to get so judgy around ourselves when it comes to things physical and the whole broader cultural question, a cultural idea. But it's like there is this tendency. I think a lot of trainers and a lot of the kind of imagery and language in the fitness industry pulls us into this place of judging ourselves and going, well, I can't do that. I mean, it starts in gym class a lot of times. You know, <laughs> Absolutely. That size, right? Yes. That person is athletic and physical and competent. And I am not that person. Everyone, so many people have traumatic stories from gym class. I mean, I hope it's changing, but yeah. Based on my 15-year-old daughter's experience, I'm going to go with no, at least in go the Midwest. No. It has not. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, what's happening? I, mean, it's, I guess it's just really hard to convince people to become gym teachers, but it's like, let's get away from that model that it's either perfect or terrible. 
whether it's what you're eating, how you're moving, what you're doing with your life. I mean, again, like a life without Nilo for pie is, <laughs> is a pleasure. I mean, we're pleasure seekers, right? That's why babies, I mean, look at babies, look at the way that they deal with their bodies. It's like they're looking for what feels good and is fun, right? Absolutely. When I, co- when I coach Feldenkrais, it's like the second you start to become disengaged or uninterested or feel something you don't like, stop. I give people breaks and it's like, do something real easy for 45 seconds and then stop. And people are like, well, what do you mean? Why are we doing 300 more reps? <laughs> doing it to let your nervous system take that information in, breathe it in. Just seeing this wonderful new vista of the Grand Canyon. Whoa, this is cool. My head can do that. Let it so, marinate. <laughs> let it marinate. Definitely. Yeah, that's for sure. And the breaks happen throughout. And it's shocking how fast you can learn and how much better your body can get in a very, very short amount of time when you give yourself the chance to enjoy it. So this idea, okay, let's punish ourselves. Let's hurt ourselves because we're not worthy. We don't look good. We're not lean enough. We're not whatever, strong enough, whatever it is yet. It's constantly self-punishing approach. I just encourage people to find some way out of that hamster wheel, find pleasurable ways of moving and nourishing yourself that nudge you toward those long-term goals. I feel like that is a wonderful and encouraging way kind of to leave it there. And I want to say thank you so much for your time today. It has been so interesting. Before we go, though, I want you to tell listeners how they can find you and how we can find these classes and take part in them because they sound really wonderful. Sure. Yes. Thank you for that opening. I do teach this class four days a week. My dad does it and he's 82. Oh, that's so, awesome. Right? Yeah. He's doing great. I also have a lot of significantly younger people doing it, people with various limitations of all kinds. I have people who've had strokes who've gotten on there with various limitations. And it's like, so it is literally all, everyone says, oh, it's all levels. And then they say, clean and jerk this. Yeah, It's like, okay, it's not really all levels, you know? (laughs) So I am always constantly giving variations on movement. So I might give four variations on a movement. Okay, if you're feeling strong, you want to do, go as hard as you can, do this. If you're feeling like you got a knee thing, do this or that, right? And always, as with Feldenkrais, it's like, if something doesn't feel right, stop. You know, right. I am not in there with my drill sergeant hat on yelling at you, right? It's like, it's always your workout. And we form a little group. It's a, it's a little Zoom thing. You, can, you don't have to have your camera on, but you can. And if I can see you well enough, I can say, oh, hey, Crystal, your form looks great. Or maybe turn your head this way or do this, right? So it's four days a week. I teach over Zoom. Yeah. And for listeners of this podcast, I will say through the summer, I will let you check out the class for free on Saturdays. Oh, wow. So you could just come on in. Now, if you can't make, it's at 8 a.m. on Saturdays. If you can't do it live, I post the workout for about 72 hours afterwards on YouTube and I'll send you a link and you can see what that class was and you can do it afterwards. Is that 8 a.m. Pacific time? Pacific time. Thank you very much for saying that. You know, listeners all over the world. Yeah, Pacific time. And the way to get in touch with me to do that, all I need is your email. So you can send it to me via my Instagram, which is at Andrew Heffernan Fitness. You put that in the show notes. Yes, yes. So inclined, H-E-F-F-E-R-N-A-N, Fitness, Andrew Heffernan Fitness, at Andrew Heffernan Fitness. Or you can just send me an email at Andrew Heffernan at AOL. Don't judge me for that. Uh, <laughs> I was com. totally judging you. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Heffernan at AOL.com. Yes, I'm still, I mean, it I'm, wasn't, I'm it wasn't Hotmail, but it was close. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, CompuServe is yet another level, Crystal. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. Oh, yeah. Nobody even, no one even had in CompuServe. Your email address would be something like 733 741 
honestly, you couldn't even have letter names. No. So anyway, Andrew Heffernan at AOL.com or at Andrew Heffernan Fitness, you can DM me. Just send me your email and I'll make sure you get those links every Saturday and come on in. If you have any questions for me, feel free to ask. You can DM me. You can hit me up via email. I'm happy to help out with that. Yeah, I think those are the two main methods. And then if you're in, if you're like, oh, I want access to these all the time, I'm on Patreon and there's three levels. You can do it one day a week, three days a week, or a four plus a Feldenkrais recording once a week. And again, those sessions, they start with mobility. Fridays are pure mobility. So there's some Feldenkrais built into that. For the other three classes, Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday, there's mobility. And then there's a strength session. And then there's a nice cool down that sends you into your life feeling good and energized and vital and ready for your life. So that's the plan. So jump on. I'd love for to love for people on here to be able to enjoy that. I'm really convinced it's a good product and I think people will get a lot out of it. I really appreciate your generosity. Thank you oh, so yeah. much for offering that for our listeners. And thank you again for your time today. I really appreciate sure. it. Listeners, that is all for this week. You can find all of the MetPro Method episodes anywhere you get podcasts, or you can go to metpro.co slash podcast. Please be sure to follow the show and rate and review. It lets other people know what they can expect. Also, you can learn more about MetPro at metpro.co. I am your host, Crystal O'Keefe, and I will be back next week. Until then, remember, consistency is key.